world. Borealis. Paradigm Expansion. Greetings from the North and welcome to the Forum. Today we're having quite a treat for you. The Norwegian amateur cryptographer Peter Amundsen will brief us on his huge discovery. You have probably not heard about him before, but sooner or later you will, because what he found will shatter the history books and force an upgrade of everything regarding Shakespeare, the Rosicrucians, Francis Bacon, the Templar treasure, the emergence of Freemasonry, and even what's going on in a certain island in Nova Scotia, arguably the most famous treasure island in the world. All of this will be tied together for you in the course of the two parts of this program, where we start down to earth, and during the second part follows the undeniably finds to the last step, where world history takes over. Amundsen hold a Master of Music degree from the Norwegian State Academy and work as an organist in Holmenkollen Chapel in Oslo. He's been into futures trading and is currently also running an import business and gives talks about his discoveries. After he started using Francis Bacon's cipher system 15 years ago, he has accumulated so many finds that even after two books, a four-part TV series and one two-part movie, everything has not yet been exposed. As always, check his presentation at our website for links to all the details, including the TV programs you ought to see if you really want to understand the nature and significance of his discoveries, since the visual nature of this matter is not really well suited for radio. Nevertheless, this is what he now drops by in an attempt to convey to us. Welcome to the forum, Peter. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Al. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, and uh, I had to because uh, I've been following your work for for such a long time. And yes, I have. And uh, as many people in Norway have, but unfortunately, people abroad are not so aware of your work yet. But I predict they will be because. What you have discovered is such a, you know, there, every month probably there is a new run of the mail book out about the code here and the finding there and speculations and hypotheses. And I'm not, I'm not dissing that, but what we're dealing with here, people, are objective finds that you can see for yourself which are so groundbreaking and so far-reaching and actually an ongoing mystery as you will learn and if you if we manage to awake your curiosity about this you can actually tune into to the ongoing process of, of this work so um, uh, I was thinking, Peter, that since we are dealing with a topic that is so difficult to to, to talk about, uh, it's a very visual topic, and here we are, two Norwegians having to talk about it in English. So uh, we, we'll try to do our best. We'll, we'll try to give it as, uh, should I say, as apparent as possible. 
but they really need to see for themselves to realize what this is about. And, and Peter, he's probably more skeptical to his own work than I am. But uh, I can only go by what I see and what I understand. And this is this is history, people, in the making. What do you say, Peter? Well, thank you so much for that <laughs> kind uh, introduction. And uh, thank you for your support. Of course, I I believe in my own stuff. I do not do this as a prank. Mm. And um, even if I say that I believe in this stuff, I need to keep the, the possibility open that I'm uh, really making a fool of myself and that I, I see things that I, I wish to see and I make people uh, recognize things that I point to. Um, like, for instance, if, if we were sitting outside and uh, there were clouds in the sky and I point to a, a cloud and say, oh, Al, uh, that's that cloud looks like a dagger, and um, you probably <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't recognize it uh, until I pointed it out as mm. such. And it could be the same thing here, because what I am um, bringing to the table is something that cannot be denied, but mm. it is my interpretation of these things that may be discussed, and also we have the element of chance. Mm. It could be. Um, coincidences um, playing a game with us here but I think that it is more probable that this that I point to was done by design knowing the people uh, whom I claim have done this mm -hmm. uh, we know something about these guys and they have shown a propensity for making ciphers so so Looking for ciphers in their work is not that uh, far out, really. So I think that uh, the coincidence um, alternative is uh, is less probable, and it is something that um, is a is a very uh, cheap escape for people who wants to discuss this because yeah. uh, it's so interesting. So I think go with me, try to try to get a taste for it and. Hmm. Do look up pages for yourself on the internet. Look for original uh, uh, images of the, the Shakespeare books from uh, the 17th century, and and just just take a look, and you will see. Hmm. Oh, he he could be right that uh, that Norwegian uh, organist. Um, maybe uh, maybe I should uh, look at his uh, videos. Uh, that what uh, oh, there are. They're freely uh, watched on Vimeo, so maybe I will give him uh, four more hours and we'll see. Because this is a very visual story. So you and I are talking about this in a foreign language and we are <laughs> lacking the most uh, vital um, aspect, the, the visual here, because yeah. I, I cannot point to ciphers. I just have to try to, to build some images in your heads. So we'll see uh, how this will go. We'll do our best. Let me interject before we continue that uh, there are actually a third explanation. If we want to be picky and if we want to, you know, find alternative explanations to that, what he has discovered is true. Then, yes, there is the so-called coincidence argument. But there is also a third one which often pops up when uh, we have uh, stuff like, for instance, numbers or synchronicities and all that. And that is what we maybe could call the invisible hand, the, the intelligent design. Actually, I'll tell you a little anecdote from my own life. When I was very young, I joined the Rosicrucian Order. 
years. And um, I think I was 18 years old or something. And uh, I imagine they were like very enlightened people who could, uh, you know, see through everything. So when I got my membership card in the mail, it was a five-cipher number where it was one letter and five numbers. And then the very same day, and I, I kid you not, the very same day, I got um, uh, a letter I had anticipated from the police, of all things, regard, <laughs> yeah, regarding some uh, case. And the case number was identical to my membership number. Wow. And, you know, today they would think, oh, my God, it's a conspiracy. Oh, the Rosicrucians infiltrated the police, whatever, right? This is some kind of message to him, whatever. But... Uh, <laughs> Obviously not. I mean, this is what uh, Jung called synchronicity. And these things happen too. Hmm. So, so, so that could be. But I don't buy the pareidolia argument that you came with. Because, uh, yes, the clouds, but they are fluctuating all the time. Hmm. You are talking about something which is structured and, and consistent and permanent. And it's there. It's like yeah, stone. But what I'm trying to uh, illuminate by that cloud image is that I could lead people to agree with me by just claiming that uh, it's uh, so it is because uh, they then drop the alternatives. They're not uh, thinking um, as as freely because I have uh, given a solution. So so this is what I'm saying. But uh, I think that what, what you just uh, said is uh, within the, um, the coincidence uh, realm. But mm. some people say that there are no coincidences. Yeah, right. So <laughs> I do not know the finger, the invisible finger who, who runs this. And I don't think that uh, it's the Bilderberg group or the Gnomes of Zurich. Or whatever. I, maybe there is some kind of um, infinite wisdom somewhere that runs this. But uh, hmm. for sure, it is not me. No, uh, no. I think this is uh, this is uh, man-made in that it is uh, it is deliberate. But people can judge for themselves. Let's start with the beginning. How on earth did you get uh, skills in code uh, work? I think that um, I have uh, quite the uh, analytical mind. And I have always been obsessed with finding answers to things that I wonder about. I, I never cease to, to explore things. I'm unstoppable, Ma maniacal. <laughs> well, uh, it could be good uh, in some ways, and it could be a burden for people um, being close to me, of course. But uh, you cannot go to a school in ancient ciphers uh, you you need to to uh, explore by learning by doing and i think that th there is um, an advantage that i am a musician because music is written in a code language with uh, the musical notes so we have a dot that represents a key on the piano or uh, the note on the violin or whatever so you you train your mind to to read uh, another alphabet so you have the normal alphabet and you have the musical alphabet and i, th I believe for every new skill you uh, learned and maybe you develop some kind of uh, added uh, 
power in some way and um, when I'm an organist I also read an extra stave of, of notes because we have the, the separate one for the, the legs I play with the feet being an organist so so we've got more music to read and that expands the mind I believe mm-hmm. and uh, during my uh, my study of church music uh, we learn about uh, we learn about religion symbols we learn about uh, Johann Sebastian Bach and his uh, number alphabet that we can find traces of in his music so it it is actually a good foundation for this kind of work. Uh, it, it may sound uh, <laughs> very uh, that an organist from Norway can move the envelope in in the realm of Shakespeare and uh, and ciphers, but I think it's um, actually quite logical because we have to learn languages. Mm. English people they have. Well, they, they can learn French, but they don't have to. But we we have to learn languages, so we have to keep an open mind again. And I also think that we Norwegians are having uh, some of the Viking uh, genes <laughs> in us, so we we don't Ex- care. Explorers. We yeah, but we are uh, rascals in a way. <laughs> we give a damn in in. Uh, what is considered uh, the proper things to do. We, if we want to do something, we just do it. So my respect for culture is probably not what uh, it, it should have been. So, so I enjoy tearing things down if I can. I'm not thinking, oh, poor, mm. poor people of Stratford, what will they feel if I <laughs> tear the bar down? I say, to hell with them. Let's uh, crash that bust. So uh, I, I think that uh, Norwegian organist uh, is probably uh, <laughs> my my best training. Yeah, I want to uh, back you on this because you know what Pythagoras said. He said that uh, geometry is numbers in space and music is number in time. There is a scientific correlation between music and geometry, and uh, you, who are a professional musician, just not not just like a you know a, a basement band musician who doesn't have to learn notes. You oh. you actually have to to do this properly. People are doing the things I love. That's wonderful. Yeah, and uh, kudos for that. But um, I think you're onto something here that uh, dogmatism. We don't understand the British. What kind of uh, sac grad uh, institution this Shakespeare thing is in England so that I guess you have discovered it uh, you know during your work but in general Norwegian don't know this so yeah okay let's follow the thread let's see where this leads us why wouldn't we do that let's check this out so so I buy all that but still didn't you at some point start to deliberately study codes oh yes I did I did um certainly I was playing the futures and stock markets, uh, mostly the the futures markets, which are the, the commodity markets in the United States, Chicago Board of Trade, for instance, where you can buy soybeans mm. uh, for delivery in the future, and uh, the New York Mercantile Exchange, where you could buy cotton futures. and knowing well that I could not know more than the experts on the fundamentals of that market. I was studying 
the, the technical analysis at, as it is called, which is you, you study the curves and the, the cycles and you see how the psychology develops in time. So it's, it's kind of a Pythagorean thing, uh, really. Mm. Um, and there was this um, guy that I suddenly heard of, W.D. Gann. He was a famous trader who died in 1955, and he did things that shouldn't be possible. He had predictions a year ahead for the, the peak in 1929. He called the price for the Dow index, and he missed with a few decimals. Wow. And then he said that the market is going to crash for the next three years, which it did. So uh, he made a lot of money and people were sitting next to him during his trading and he was uh, calling the, the intraday swings with uh, uncanny precision. And so he had some kind of, a, <coughs> excuse me, some kind of a, a crystal ball he was looking into. So, um, so I was, of course, very curious, what did Mr. Gan do? And he produced courses and rewrote books, but he didn't reveal the master key to his whole technique. Mm. But there is this novel that he wrote in 1927, which is called The Tunnel Through the Air. It is not a literary masterpiece, but it is something that many GAN students have read. And in the foreword, he says that you will find a valuable secret in this book, but you need to read it three times. Hmm. And when you see it, the, the future will become an open book. Wow. Uh, and it also says that it is, it is clothed in veiled language. Mm-hmm. And this is another word for or, or phrase for steganography, because in the, the world of ciphers and codes, you have two separate disciplines. You have the codes mm-hmm. and the codes are readily uh, recognizable as codes. You are not doubting that you, you have a code in front of you, but with steganography, you are not supposed to, to see the code. The code itself should be invisible. Mm-hmm. And of course here madness enters because you can, you can uh, make yourself believe that there are steganography in the newspaper, which, which it could be. But uh, some people get uh, too eager and see things uh, that are not there. And right. um, I say that uh, steganography is the key to this whole mystery. So this is not a mystery that is revealed in codes. It's revealed in steganography. So I studied the the GAN book um, for many years. I wrote articles, invited people to pull this book apart together with me. And in this book, GAN writes about Francis Bacon, and he writes about William Shakespeare. And uh, I I knew that Francis Bacon was famous for having created a steganography system. 
that is is uh, something that we use in our computers. So he, he created a biliterary cipher, as he calls it, which is uh, a five-bit alphabet, very much like the ASCII alphabet, which is eight bits. Mm. So he had two variables. He called them uh, A and B, and he grouped them in five. So the letter A is a, 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 and the letter B is A, 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 B, etc. Mm. And the A's and the B's could be anything. If, if you have two entities that uh, you can separate, then, uh, then you can go. It could be apples and oranges. It could be people standing or sitting in uh, photographs. Or it could be two different uh, cases of fonts if you are producing a book. So if you take this case of fonts, then you have the A and the other B. And people have been saying that uh, some of the Shakespeare books have been encoded this way. So this is not uh, a first, really. But in order to really learn the Francis Bacon cipher, I ordered a book on the internet called The Cipher in the Place and on the Tombstone. And um, on in this book, he the, the writer he is uh, saying that the gravestone of of um, uh, William Shakespeare is encoded with Francis Bacon's cipher, his steganographic cipher. Yeah. And um, the the way it is used is that you have capital letters and the lowercase letters. And the capital letters are type B and the lowercase will be type A. Mm. And this guy called Donnelly, he quoted someone who had been doing this uh, 10 years earlier. So I, I said, okay, let's close the book. There is the, um, the gravestone. I begin from scratch and then I will compare notes with Donnelly afterwards. Okay. And this is a Ignatius Donnelly, right? Yes. Mm, okay. Continue. Yeah. He's, uh, he's famous for having written books about uh, Atlantis. Right. Yeah. And uh, the guy who did this was Hugh Black. And Donnelly quotes Hugh Black. That okay. is uh, the way it was. So, so Hugh Black is the mastermind of this. And uh, Donnelly is just someone who is reporting. Right. Right. Yeah. So mm. but I do not have Hugh Black's paper. I just have the book that Donnelly uh, published. So I close the Donnelly book and sit down with my my paper. And um, then I compare notes afterwards and see that uh, I get almost the same result as Donnelly. But there is one one difference. There is one letter that uh, Donnelly has um, has. He has come to the, the, another one. So that makes me look closer for to see what, what kind of, uh, of letter is this. And uh, I say, see that these letters that uh, Donnelly and I have a discrepancy about make the first four letters of uh, Bacon's name in that you have the FR for Francis and you have the BA. And uh, I can't recall what Donnelly had, but uh, I, I say that why, why didn't Donnelly see this? Because it's so obvious. Mm. 
So I say that maybe we should continue this because this is a good start. We have William Shakespeare's name because this is something Hugh Black found. Because on the gravestone of Shakespeare, Shakespeare's name is not present. So you'll only find it if you use the cipher method then. Okay, okay, let's recap a little. Uh, You're talking now about an analysis of the gravestone of Shakespeare? Yes, in uh, the the gravestone that um, used to be in um, the Holy Trinity Church in Stratford-upon-Avon. Was it because of Donnelly and those guys that you, you wanted to start to investigate that? No, I was thinking that since Gann mentioned Shakespeare and Bacon, then maybe Bacon's method was a key to uh, unraveling the book Gann had written. Ah, right. So that's how you you, you started with that. I see. Yes. Mm. So, but my my exercise to learn for learning the Bacon method was uh, reading the Donnelly book, and right. then I was thinking now that I understand the Bacon method, and then I can go back to studying the tunnel through there by Gan. So, okay. so I, I haven't come to that uh, yet. But no. w- what I did was to move this one level further because I saw that you could do um, an adding of letters, a very classical uh, way of uh, performing deciphering. And then you would wind up with F.R. Bacon, and you will would also have Shakespeare there. And um, this this was in January in 2002. And when I had this solution in front of me on my, my desk, I I just knew that I. I needed to to see where this would take me, and I thought that okay, I would will have to put Gan aside for a few weeks, and then we will see what uh, what happens. Mm. And uh, now we are talking 13 years, and I haven't looked back. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I quit trading the markets, and I I, I just needed to um, to to finish what I had started there because it was so interesting. Because this finding the far bacon name was was just part of it because I also found some numbers that we will return to and uh, uh, well I, I saw possibilities that that needed to be explored but how, how did you uh, go from I mean you were ready to take this out into the business onto the stock markets uh, area so how, how on earth did you end up applying this to original Shakespeare manuscripts and stuff well, it uh, turned out that the um, so the, the the guys that that William Gann uh, referred to, they were into the Shakespeare Bacon thing. It, right. uh, it it is very likely that Manly P. Hall and Gann were connected, and also mm-hmm. uh, a writer called Sepharial, Walter Gornold. And uh, Sepharial, he wrote about uh, Shakespeare and Bacon, and he quoted some ciphers. He mentioned the first folio of Shakespeare, so I didn't know what the Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare folio was. Folio, to me, that is a, a sheet of paper. So I said, yeah. okay, is it is a sheet of paper by uh, by Shakespeare? So I didn't know anything about Shakespeare. And then no. I I ordered a facsimile, a paperback facsimile of the first folio of Shakespeare, and I 
I was looking for the first page because I thought maybe the folio was some kind of leaf inside that book. What, what, what is this? Yeah. So it, it took some time before I understood that the folio is a, is a way of making books. <laughs> so it's just the, the kind of amateurish level I was at. at yes, point. but remember, most of the listeners are amateurs on this. So the f- first folio Peter here is referring to is then the original uh, version of Shakespeare's writing, right? Yes, it is the first uh, compiled edition, the, the complete edition. It, it's not mm. complete, it lacks one of the plays uh, in the canon, but uh, okay. um, half of what is presented among those 36 plays in the first folio were published for the first time in this book and you had the quarto editions earlier so mm. folio and quarto and octavo that is ways of uh, technically putting a book together binding it so the, the folio really means a big book it's like a newspaper where you have mm. one sheet of paper and you fold it once mm. and the quarto you fold it twice and the octavo you fold it uh, fold it uh, twice right. so uh, that's just the, the way you you handle the paper of course and and uh, how you 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 print mm. yeah so um, i learned that at folio shakespeare's first folio was a book simple as that and uh, i had to look up the codes that Safarial had uh, pointed to, and he pointed to, uh, he referred to a guy called Durning Lawrence, who wrote a book in 1910 called uh, Shakespeare is Bacon, which of course I bought, and then the, the, the snowball uh, was uh, gaining speed and uh, girth. Right, right. And and obviously, for people who, who wouldn't know this, then this controversy, who is behind uh, the Shakespearean literature, is an old one and actually has been going on. Well, maybe you can tell them. How, how long have people suspected this? From, from Shakespeare's death and onwards? How long has this been? A... Mm, it depends on, on, on what level, because if yeah. you are including the more subtle levels, almost like uh, cryptography, then you have people already uh, when Elizabeth lived, people uh, in the, the late 1500s who speculated that it was Bacon who had written Venus and Adonis. Mm. And um, then you had uh, people in uh, the late 18th century, which is doubtful because there is a man called James Wilmot who supposedly wanted to find out uh, if he could uh, discover some original items or books that Shakespeare had perused himself and he couldn't find anything and uh, he was frustrated and he he launched uh, the original view that uh, maybe it wasn't Shakespeare who wrote wrote uh, the the Shakespeare works uh, and uh, he is supposed to have come up with Francis Bacon as uh, a good candidate mm. and even uh, Shakespeareans uh, say that um, if these works had been published anonymously then Sir Francis Bacon would have been the most obvious candidate but since they have got the William Shakespeare name on them, then it follows that, of course, it was William Shakespeare who wrote them. Mm. And then in uh, the 1850s, you have the American uh, tradition beginning 
with the first Francis Bacon Society uh, being established. Uh, I believe that was in a, around 1860 sometime. Mm. There is this woman called Delia Bacon of all things. Yeah. She's not related to Francis Bacon, but uh, I think she must be a have been inspired by her own name. She mm. she wrote a book about the philosophy in the works of of Shakespeare, and he she she thought that uh, Bacon and others had written Shakespeare. She didn't think that Bacon had done this alone, and I agree with her. Mm. Uh, I think that Bacon was uh, probably editor in chief for the the Shakespeare. Yes, book. yes, but no wonder you agree because your your findings kind of confirm that uh, trace, doesn't? Yes, it? yes, they do. But we are uh, anticipating her. So. As the, the 19th century is coming to a close, then the Baconian uh, movement uh, is classified as some kind of lunacy. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it's fierce fighting going on between the, the Stratfordians. And the Stratfordians now wish to, to call themselves Shakespeareans and right. the Baconians and the Oxfordians and Malovians, they are the anti-Shakespeareans and I think that is very unfair because we all love Shakespeare but it's, uh, sure. it's a man from Stratford, we we put a question let's, let's just, not everyone is English here, so let's just uh, explain that the Stratfordians that's the people who believed this primitive brute this illiterate brute, Will Shakespeare, who who never wrote anything else, by the way, and and uh, probably couldn't read and write. They think he composed alone the the material, right? That's the Stratfordians. That's the Stratfordians. Yes, they they focus on uh, the man from from Stratford. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, who, who's the other factions in this scholarly battle? Yes, and as the the twentieth century century began, then. Other candidates were launched, and I think that we now have more than 50 candidates. And, uh, <laughs> oh yeah! But, but the main groups. That's... The main group will be the most sexy group today is uh, the Oxfordians, right? And they believe that uh, Edward de Vere, uh, who was the 17th Earl of Oxford, wrote Shakespeare, and. Um, I don't know if they are represent the greatest group of uh, non-believers, but... Uh, they have some good I, arguments, don't they? I, I think that all groups have good arguments. Mm. But one of the, the difficult arguments with Oxford is that he died before some of the plays could have been written. Mm. And this is, of course, also the case with... Uh, Christopher Marlowe. Mm. And I think from a literary perspective, Christopher Marlowe is a good candidate because his language and the, the language of uh, William Shakespeare is pretty much the same. Mm. People who have used something called the stylometrics or stylometrics, I don't know where you put the stress, but mm. the, they analyze the sentences and they, they run this through a computer and they see if it is a fingerprint match or not. And they say that uh, Christopher Marlowe is, is a perfect match. Um, Oxford is not, and Francis Bacon is certainly not, mm. but, uh, but Christopher Marlowe. But he died in 1593, and this was before Shakespeare even began publishing uh, any, uh, any plays. You have 1593 as the publishing year of the, the great poem Venus and Adonis. That, that's the first one, right? Yes, and mm. uh, then the Marlowians say that 
Christopher Marlowe faked his death and he went to Italy where he sat writing the fantastic place. Oh. And this is the reason why you have so many Italian plays. Right, right, right. Wow, yeah. that's quite a conspiracy theory. <laughs> it is, but yeah. the, the true candidate, in my view, was launched in 2006. Uh-huh. Uh, or maybe five, uh, I think 2006, because this was something that surfaced as Alan Lou and I were producing the book called uh, The Organist. Mm. And this is a, a book that I have translated myself now, giving it a new title, more snappy title, uh, or not snappy, but more relevant title, because The Organist doesn't say anything about the subject. Uh, let, let me interject here. Uh, uh-huh. Arland Lou, he's a famous Norwegian author who at some point discovered your your work and put his... Uh, he became such a fan that he, he wanted to write a book about this, right? And that's the book you're talking about, The Organist. Well, at least uh, he uh, ended up writing a book with me, the, the way it happened. If we have time, we can go there. But sure. But um, the, the theory that I was thinking about... Uh, yeah, the new I one. Yeah. really love, it surfaced while we were compiling this book. Okay. And it is mentioned in it. And uh, mm-hmm. when I heard of it, I, I thought it was uh, stupid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I dis- dismissed it just uh, like that because there's so many theories. And yeah, uh, yeah. I knew what I had. And uh, bacon, bacon, of course, bacon. Yeah. But then... I was looking into it because you need to give people a chance here. And uh, I was looking at the second book that the author Brenda James was uh, issuing. And she is uh, the woman who can take the honor for having brought this, I believe, truth to the Shakespeare table. and I will get to her candidate shortly. But uh, she she produced um, specimens of her own cipher work uh, that led her to, to look for this candidate. And being the, the self-proclaimed expert in the, the Shakespeare cipher field, I said, ha, 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 that, that's so silly. Ah, ha, ha, that, oh, no, you can't do that. Ah. And then turning another page and then, oh, boy. Your jaw dropped. It did. <laughs> yeah. I saw something that, I mean, uh, I really wanted to dismiss it, but I just mm. couldn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I knew that that couldn't be a coincidence. So I I had one of those uh, moments of truth uh, that I believe many Stratfordians will have to suffer when they, mm. when they see the evidence that we produce here. Um, I had to, to suffer it myself, and I had to accept that her candidate, who is Sir Henry Neville, mm. must have been a writer of Shakespeare. Mm. And as time has um, moved on and I have matured, I really believe, truly believe, mm. that Sir Henry Neville is more important for the Shakespeare that we love than Sir Francis Bacon. Mm-hmm. I think that Sir Francis Bacon, he is, of course, uh, the great philosopher. He knew, uh, if not everything, he at least had the ambition of learning everything that was to to know. 
and he had great plans for humanity and uh, his role is uh, is paramount in the production of Shakespeare but I think that the penning of those verses and um, the the beautiful musical uh, mastery of language was Sir Henry Neville. And right. when Sir Henry Neville died, he was born the same year as uh, William Shakespeare, 1564. When he died, no more plays ar arose. Right, right. So Bacon lived on for 11 more years, but not a single play surfaced. And William Shakespeare, he died the following year. So, so Henry Neville died in 1615 and Shakespeare in 1616. So I think that there are two prime producers of Shakespeare. And these are Sir William, no, no sorry, Sir, Sir Henry Neville and uh, Sir Francis Bacon. And they were... Uh, also related by marriage. Mm. So H Henry Neville eventually became the nephew of uh, Sir Francis. Right, right. Is it fair to say then that uh, evidence so far indicates that Neville was the artist? He was the one who, who put the poetry uh, into Shakespeare, the descriptions, the, the rich life, all this, the quality, so to speak. Whereas the more administrative Francis Bacon, the scholar, he was more a facilitator. He was probably the, the head of this obscure group of, of creators. Is that something we can take out of it? Well, it is uh, uh, an hypothesis, but I think that in very coarse uh, terms, it's... it's uh, probably something like that but you mm. you cannot guess what kind of a collaboration this is maybe both had to agree on uh, on every line or if it mm. was so that uh, you write this part yeah, i write that part or i know a few cool things about uh, falconry and you need to include yeah I'll, I'll feed you some codes and yeah. some general knowledge you make some out of this <laughs> i think we have some uh, uh, some law that we need to insert because right, uh, right. you need this because right. bacon was an expert in law yeah. I don't think that uh, Sir Henry Neville was, but he knew a lot about life in Europe because he, he stayed in Europe for many years. Right, right. And uh, parts of, of uh, Shakespeare are written in French and uh, William Shakespeare never left. Uh, England, that we know, but uh, oh, we, you know what? We go, we're going to deconstruct the person Shakespeare later, I think. Okay, I think okay. Important. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we have um, we have the the doubt for the the authorship that has been been battling back and forth, and some periods have been rather strong, and other have been uh, it has been played down. I think that these days it is gathering force. It is mm. now uh, being accepted to doubt. Shakespeare. Yeah, well, we have universities who teach curriculum uh, with uh, the, the Shakespeare authorship as uh, the main subject being studied. And right. you have uh, artists who are world famous Shakespearean artists mm. who say that, well, I don't buy the Shakespeare of Stratford uh, myth. Uh, it is, of course, the Earl of Oxford who wrote this, or it must have been Sir Francis Bacon who wrote it. And they can get away with it, but uh, some years ago they couldn't. Wasn't there recently a big Hollywood movie about this? 
Yes. I, uh, Which what, theory? What was the name of the movie? The film is called yeah. Anonymous. Yeah, right, Anonymous. And who who was the man? I mean, who who was Shakespeare according to uh, the 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 writer is Edward Vere, the Earl of Oxford. Of course, it's the most appealing theory today. So Sir Francis Bacon is a little bit musty. So he's old school, but Oxford is 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 cooler. Yeah, but is it unthinkable that De Vere had a hand in it? I mean, there is, I, I know there is mainstream Shakespeare scholars who claim that, yes, it's Shakespeare, but he collaborated with a lot of, of these people. Yeah. So even they are forced to admit that some of these guys are involved. But what, what do you think? If we have a group of quote-unquote Rosicrucians, we can say that the material, the evidence substantiate that Neville was involved it substantiates that bacon was involved does it also substantiate de vere and any others i have no ciphers uh, that's supporting but uh, we have a parallel in the history of de vere and hamlet so uh, he mm. could have provided uh, some ideas for a story i don't know but i'm not that kind of a scholar i am a uh, a crypto guy and I haven't seen anything that points to Edward de Vere. I've looked at several of the Oxfordian so-called ciphers and I am unimpressed. Okay. Well, I'll just say that, of course, Petter, as you will learn, uh, especially when you see the movies, he's very true to to the principle of the scientific method. So, yes, Petter, but remember, as long as we distinguish between evidence and, and allegations, evidence and speculations, it's completely safe to speculate and people love to hear uh, scenario thinking and hypothesis. So, let's just be honest about what's your hypothesis. So, on a hypothetical basis, you acknowledge that Neville and, and, and Bacon at least was involved. Are there any others that you think, according to, to the evidence, could have been involved on a pure speculative basis? And yes, you're just an organist, but, but you are the organist who's discovered this. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. please share with us. <laughs> but these two guys are prime movers, but okay. I think think that they they needed the support of other people. I believe one of them was uh, Ben Johnson, which is uh, not a great shock, I think. And I also think that, uh, and this is something that has uh, come up uh, lately, I think that King James was important for the project. Wow, the king himself? Yeah. Wow. I think he was uh, was very important. Uh, I don't know if he wrote anything, but he was probably uh, the guy who had his uh, protective hand mm. over it all. Maybe he was into it for the political aspect of it. Um, but he he loved the arts, and he ah. he has, has been given a bad reputation. Mm. Um, I think that uh, for the decades to come, I think that King James will uh, he will uh, stand uh, out in a more uh, uh, benefiting uh, light. Okay, I I, I do think this. Uh, Some claim Queen Elizabeth was uh, involved uh, in it and blah blah blah. Yeah, well, we know the story that um, she wanted to know who wrote Richard II. Mm. 
and uh, she gave Francis Bacon the task of finding out who was the the, the author. And uh, she she never demanded that uh, William from Stratford should uh, be questioned. But uh, she didn't buy that he was the author. She wanted to know who really wrote this because yeah. I am Richard. Can't you see? Uh, because the, the Richard II has a deposition scene at the end, and she felt threatened. And this play was uh, was staged the night before the Essex Rebellion in order to ignite the, the people to um, to support the Essex uh, cause. And uh, she, of course, recognized uh, this purpose, and then uh, she was furious. But um, mm. I, I don't think that she uh, encouraged um, the production of Richard II, but <laughs> we know that she loved uh, the theater. And, but but how, how much of this is, is romance, yeah, how much yeah. is, is truth, I don't no, know. Let's but stick to it, became, yeah. it became easier when uh, when King James uh, had ascended the throne. I see. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, I think that for, for the nature of your theories, we, we should probably not attempt to explain them technically so much because it will just be a lot of words. We are two Norwegians guys here. Yeah, but there's one thing I, I'd like to mention uh, yeah? when we are talking about the authorship, yeah. because <laughs> the first cipher that you enter, if you if you open this folio, this wonderful folio of Shakespeare, mm -hmm. uh, there is a code or a steganographic, steganographic cipher um, that is linked to the number two, mm. TWO. Yeah. And I think that, among other things, because you and I know that uh, this is just part of a, a bigger whole, mm. but, but two also signifies the number of authors. authors. Mm. So I think that we should focus on two. And uh, honestly, I haven't seen anything that would uh, support other candidates and i would if i had seen it like i had to when i saw the neville cipher yeah. i i didn't want to but i just right. had to accept it but you have found that uh, and, and we'll get to that but that other people were involved if not in the production of the shakespearean plays they were involved in this think tank the which used the place as an agenda or as one uh, of many yeah. you know it's a bigger project no this is bigger than just finding quotes in shakespeare as you will learn this is huge this is world history people just to give some teasers it involves the knight templars sacred relics treasure hunting in 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 distant shores now, if i may interrupt you yeah. is that yeah. king james asked sir francis bacon to uh, produce a treasure map to uh safe keep sacred relics that he controlled that is uh, that is the short yeah, but th version this isn't mainstream now you're talking about what you found right yeah but this this is what i claim so uh, we're talking about shakespeare here but we are talking about a royal project someone yeah. coming from scotland who has some fantastic relics brought up by exactly. the templars probably yeah. and now he needs to uh, build a new uh safe place for for all these fantastic uh, objects and uh, sir francis bacon has been bestowed the, uh, the, the the task of doing yeah, this yeah and here you found that other people were involved too like like sailors and miners scientists engineers and yeah. stuff so so we'll get to that so it's it is a bigger project but your entrance to this was the shakespearean manuscripts and you discovered these ciphers very early this two 
and yeah you can take it from there so how did your journey through the the discoveries uh, because in your movies in your television series you take it very logically from the beginning and all mm. the way to i won't mention the place yet i'll leave that to you but to that place so if you could uh, kind of guide us the quick superficial version and then of course when people have the interest in them they can check the links to your movies which we're going to link in the website yes wonderful yes so we will um, start with the the gravestone in uh, the stratford church and unfortunately it has been swapped for a newer one so we we don't have the original which is typical but we have people who has reports uh, on how the old one looked with the uh, uppercase and lowercase uh, letters that produce this uh, bacon cipher uh, message uh, or or the two names right. that you have William Shakespeare and you have uh, Francis Bacon. Mm. But if you have a stone like that, you have no proof. I mean, anyone could have tampered with that stone. Yeah. And it doesn't prove anything about the authorship. Mm. So so this is why I I had to look in the, the first folio that I had ordered. Uh, also was a, a part of the, the GAN, the, the futures market, um, project because Safariel, who was uh, one of the, the authors that Gan recommended, he he mentioned this, and I, I had to see my, for myself what is this? What is this? So I opened the first folio, and there is this poem on the very first printed page, and on the second you have the 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 picture of Shakespeare. It's, it's uh, the to the reader preface, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's to the reader, and uh, I see the letters T W O on the margin of this poem they just stand out they're just calling to me TWO oh this is childish <laughs> but I, okay it's but it's still TWO so uh, what can we do this is a book two hmm page numbers so i leave through the book and i notice that there are no page numbers in the prefatory material it is only when the first play begins, which is The Tempest, mm. the first play in the, in the folio. Then we have page number one. Of course, page number two follows. And I look down the margins of the columns and I see that you have TWO Again. repeated. Right. Yes. So now we are talking uh, odds here because uh, how many times do letters occur and uh, how many times are they uh, lining up? spelling words and you have TWO, you have TWO once more and this time on page two. Mm. And then I look at the, at the poem, the first one, the to the reader, and I see that there is a typo, a mistake in the poem because you always need to begin lines with a capital letter when you print poems. That's the that's law. You, you cannot do it another mm. way. But one of the lines in the word two has a mistake it's a it's a lowercase w so even back then they were meticulous about that oh yeah mm-hmm. sure and then i go back to pitch two and i see that it's the same mistake repeated you have t capital mm-hmm. you have the w which is a lowercase w and then you have a capital o mm-hmm. so you have a 
repetition of the mistake. Mm. And that is pretty strong because there aren't that many mistakes. Can I just interject that in uh, esoteric history and code history, uh, when they want to bring attention to, to, to stuff, they do deliberate mistakes, tests in the esoteric. Uh, they, they even do it with doctrines, uh, system and symbols, not just numbers and geometry like, like you're talking about. So that's, that's good for people to know. So they know that it's not just a wild idea you're taking out there, but you actually follow uh, custom here. Yeah. No. But here it's not a test, it is something that confirms because it it makes the odds sky high. Right. And there are two columns on each page in this fantastic book. Mm -hmm. And this TWO is on the right side, right hand side of the page. Mm -hmm. So we have a column to the left. So I move over to the left column and at the same lines, if you just continue the lines, those three lines, with a T W O, you have on the left side B A com mm, bacon, mm. and just above bacon you have a space because it, there is an insertion of the line, and then you have an F. So you have F bacon and the T W O, and I knew from from logic that it could not be a coincidence. I mean, this is one of those things I say. I was, mm. You can calculate it and. I found out from, from counting the letters in the Tempest and just doing this without uh, adding more to it, uh, just just the letter counts in the beginning of the lines, you need two billion books wow. to, to find uh, this, uh, this recurring statistically so it is this strong but then there is the, this other aspect here because like you have with the dna traces that uh, they use in uh, criminology if uh, they, they find some um, dna material at uh, the site of crime then they can find the suspects ba based on it but um, let's say that uh, it is one in a million chance that uh, this profile will be matched. Then in in Norway with 5 million people, mm -hmm. then you have five people who will match this. Ah, right. <laughs> but so, so it's uh, who of those among those five could have done it. So it's only if one of these five people already had something else connecting them with uh, the crime scene. Right that it becomes uh, something that you can use in a, in a court trial. And ha here we have something. We, we, we find a name of the man who has been suspected to be the real author yeah. for almost centuries. And there are all the ciphers confirming it. So, and we're talking so, about Bacon, of course. We are talking about Bacon, mm. of course. So Bacon has, for at least 150 years, been supposed to be the real author. And here he... He pops up in a cipher with a basic odds of uh, one in two billion. So, uh, I mean, that is, is enough in a way to say that Bacon must be involved. But it's not enough to say that he was the author. No. So there, there are many, many ciphers that uh, will confirm the Bacon and also the, the Henry Neville side of, of this. But we are now talking about the, the easy way through this material.
So from um, my uh, my work with with the gravestone, I had seen that uh, number one hundred and six presented itself, mm-hmm. or more uh, actually accurately as. Uh, two pairs of 53. So um, I, I knew something about 106 because I read about Rosicrucians and uh, this was the age of uh, uh, Father R.C. when he died. So I was beginning to think that um, Rosicrucianism could have something to do with this. And uh, I also knew that um, there were speculations that that uh, 106 had to do with geometry because Paul Foster Case in his uh, great book on Rosicrucianism, he says that it is uh, two times 53 and uh, you have the 37 reasons that are mentioned in one of the Rosicrucians uh, Christian uh, manifestos and the 37 and 53 are two of the angles in the 345 triangle which was uh, some of a sacred symbol for the, the original Rosicrucians. Mm. So what I do is that I keep this information behind my ear and uh, I turn to my computer looking for occurrences of bacon in the folio because I think, okay, if, if bacon is mm. indeed the author here, then he would probably Drop his name, yeah. yeah. That's why it's called name dropping, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it Good thinking, true. okay, yeah. Yeah. And uh, without knowing anything about Shakespeare, I knew something about searching in the internet. So I found a, a search engine called Rhymezone, and I inserted Bacon. I see that the name Bacon, just as the five letters Bacon, yeah. you will only find it twice in the book. There are two twice. occurrences of more as you have Bacon uh, as Bacon's in the plural, and you have Bacon fed. Okay, but just Bacon. Twice. So I, I opened the book, seeing okay, the first play is um, in Mary Wives, Mary Wives of Windsor, and the first folio is divided in three sections, and this is very important. You have three sections, and each of these sections have their own paginations. So the page numbers from one to uh, whatever hundred for each of these sections. So the first section is the comedies. Here we have, yes, I said the, the Tempest. You have uh, As You Like It. Uh, you have Taming uh, uh, the Shrew, etc. So, and you have uh, Merry Wives of Windsor, of course. So I make a note of which scene and uh, the act, of course. Mm-hmm. And I see, okay, we have this scene, this act. Um, and that is page, it's page 53. Mm. Mm. Okay, but th- this is strange because I remember uh, 53 from the, the gravestone. And then I see the second occurrence of Bacon, and that is from another section, which is the middle section, the histories. And it's the one of the King Henry plays and the scene so-and-so acts so-and-so. And uh, I see the play begins on page 46. Hmm. And then the next page is 49. So they skip page 47 and 48. So it turns from 46 to 49. And this isn't a question of pages missing. This is actually, uh, all the pages are there. 
It's just that they didn't give name to those two pages. Yeah, there's, there's no uh, no missing part of the play. Mm. So the the flow of the the action continues from page 46 to 49. Right. So just a, a mistake because it's not a, a typo. They just continue. It's not the two pages 49 uh, following each other. It's, it's 46, 49. Right. Next page, 50, 51, 52, 53. And on this page 53 is the second out of two occurrences of bacon. Hmm. <laughs> so, so it's, it's uh, as if they forced that part, that particular page to have the number 53. Yes, you see uh, the, the difference between Mary Wives and this uh, Henry play is that Mary Wives is a play that uh, was manipulated they inserted a scene. Mm -hmm. You have quarter editions of Mary Wives, but uh, suddenly there is a new scene popping up, which probably is easier to do in a comedy. Uh, and this new scene has bacon. But in the Henry play, it follows the quarter edition perfectly. So there is no new scene. And then they had to uh, resort to uh, dropping two pages in order to, to fit it in onto page 53. Or... They wanted someone like me to feel confirmed because I can sit here, talk to you and say, hey, they missed two pages. This is how strong it is. They deliberately make mistakes in order to make this fit. So it, it works either way. Mm -hmm. Good point. Uh, we can, we, uh, we can of course, not cover every find you have. No, we will not. But, but I, I have to follow okay. this line a little okay. bit. Because yep. now I begin to suspect the Rosicrucian uh, involvement here. Mm. On the, the last page, 53, there is uh, something left out. And the people who uh, would like to read my book, they can find out what this is. We will now jump to to uh, the Rosicrucian uh, clue here. Yeah. Because uh, now that I, I found the magic, uh, I find the magic of the rhyme zone and come, then I can also look for Rosie Cross. Mm. And um, Rosie Cross, no hits, none. Rosie Crucian, nothing. Mm. Let's look for Cross. Ah, uh, uh, hang on, hang on. This was uh, after the Rosie Crucian manifestos. The manifestos were published in 1614 and 1615, mm. and we're talking 1623. Exactly. So they, we could expect the word Rosicrucian to pop up because it was a fad. It's actually strange that the word doesn't pop up because it was such a fever in Europe around, uh, yeah. before that. Ben Jonson writes about Rosicrucians in his plays. Exactly. So Shakespeare could have. Mm. But he does it more subtly than mm. that. So... Well, I, I search for a cross, but there are too many crosses, so uh, it, it's useless. Mm. Uh, we can't really go places with that. But then we have one more word, rosy. Mm. And you know, Al, and I know that rosy is printed twice mm. in the first folder, just as bacon. Mm. And you will have to leaf through the whole book in order to find it. And when you do find it, you will see that the play in question is Cymbeline. And it is placed <clears throat> with the tragedies. 
but Sibylline is not a tragedy. It's uh, it's a romance, so it mm. should have been uh, among uh, the comedies with the Tempest, which also is a is a romance. So uh, it is a misplaced play with with Rosie on and on the first page where you see Rosie, there is a typographical error in the page number as well. Hmm. It is on page three hundred and. 79 but it is uh, printed 389 could i just ask are there other errors in that all of them coincidentally have these codes there are more errors but uh, normally there is something to be found on uh, those pages with errors so exactly I can't all of them but uh, most often when there are errors uh, in the numbers then there is something else to be found on that page so that's my point so that people see there is a correlation between errors and hints because otherwise people could just say well there was probably errors all everywhere all the time so no big deal but these these hints of deliberate interpretation yes at least uh, in the the tragedies you have among the last 100 pages you have one typo on page 308 which is relevant i i give a case for why it is so okay and uh, you have the the typo on that uh, Rosie page. Right. Yeah. Okay, continue. Rosie. Rosie. And we know that uh, in some cipher systems, you you swap letters for numbers. Mm. Uh, the gematria, for instance, you have A is 1, B is 2, C is 3, mm. etc. Mm. And we know that from uh, from reading the Rosicrucian manifestos that uh, the seal of the Rosicrucians should be the letters R C, right. and in Bacon's alphabet or Shakespeare's alphabet or the the, the alphabet uh, the English alphabet uh, in those days the R is the seventeenth letter and C will always be the third. Right. Sometimes R could be the the eighteenth letter because uh, back in those days they said that I and J. They are the same mm. letter and they have uh, the shared letter uh, value of nine. Mm. So 17 is R and uh, C is three. And uh, if I just hold a little pause here, I will show you what uh, Ben Johnson did in his uh, two-page poem in the first folio where he gives Shakespeare the name Sweet Swan of Avon. Mm. He has put as word 17 of this play, this poem, that is the word confess. Mm. Then we add three, and then you have fame. Ah, confessio and pharma fraternitatis. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's the other way around, sorry. It's famous first and then confess, sorry. Famous, it's in the right sequence, actually, yes. Yeah, famous uh, word 17, and uh, then you add three, and then you have uh, confess. Right. So RC is 20 to combine 17 plus three. So we have Rosie on uh, page 379 and you have one more Rosie and guess you have to count 17 pages to find it and of course then there are three pages to the last page. So it's the same pattern going on. Right. And on the first Rosie the line with Rosie begins with two words a pudency. And the four letters of a pudency, the first four letters combined will be A-P-U-U-D, which is a Latin word, apud. Uh -huh. And this means 
published by or issued by or uh, by the house of. So you have output beginning a line, and this is the only place where output is beginning a line in the whole book. I mean, we're talking 908 pages, and this is the only line beginning output. Right. And you have Rosie. But there is no cross, is there? Huh. So it took me a year before I saw it because uh, I wasn't looking in the right direction. I was, uh, I said, okay, it's, it's Alpid Rosie. So this is the, the Rosie guys, but I didn't see the cross. But if you care to look at this page, if you go to uh, some kind of um, Shakespeare site and uh, look for uh, this page of the first folder that you can find in facsimile, you will see that below Rosie, Rosie has a capital R. Mm -hmm. uh, to the left, two lines below, you have a C, capital C. And if you continue the line, up through the R, you'll find the capital O. So you have C R O in uh, a sloping line. Mm. And if you measure this line, you will see that it has a slope of 37 degrees, just as a three for five triangle should have. Mm. And at the O, you put a 53 degree angle and you will move directly into a capital S on the same line as the original C, and then you move to the left and you find another capital S. So the cross is written as a three, four, five triangle. So this is geometry on the page, Arpud Rosy cross. So this wonderful Shakespeare volume, the great first folio was published by the Rosy cross. Huh. Let me say, people, that uh, when you now hear us try to describe these things, it sounds much uh, more, how should I say, speculative than when you see it. If you go and see it, we may put up pictures to illustrate uh, this on YouTube as a video clip. We'll see. But You'll see it in the video. So it's, it's Yeah, it's... Uh, so you can just go to the videos anyway. And also remember that the code uh, adventure that Peter has unwrapped, and he, he will continue to talk about this, but I'll just say this, that there are much more than we can cover today. And even, even when you watch the movie and I show you a lot of geometrical stuff and code stuff and all this, it's even more than you could put in the movie. You have lots of material. So I suggest you, you check out his book when that eventually is available and you see for yourself and judge because it's so intuitive when you see it it's just you, you can't deny it already we have we have the the ebook it costs four bucks on oh. amazon but uh, it it is not uh, it delving this deeply into the codes because i thought i should make something that is uh, more yeah. available but it does of course have these basic ones and okay. uh, it does uh, do the the trick, but um, it is easier. But the the big the organist book um, is not available yet, even if I have translated, and it goes much deeper into the the cipher stuff. Right. Yeah. Let, let me also say that um, this this adventure of yours, if we're going to cover it all, we we soon have to move on. But where we are now is that you have established that. 
the Rosicrucians are confirmed as an indication in, in this scenario. We have Bacon, we have Neville, we have the Ben Johnson, we have the Rosicrucians. And so far, so good. You have no idea at this point that this will bring you further, right? Yes, but now I begin to see the possibilities that it could bring me further because okay. I know the content of the Fama Fraternitatis and mm. it basically describes that uh, Father R.C. is dead and uh, the brethren discovers his tomb in which they find fantastic uh, objects and uh, a big book mm. and the uh, unspoiled corpse, of course. And then they say that they encourage the hunt for this grave and also for other graves. Mm. So I think, okay, we do not have a single manuscript from William Shakespeare. Perhaps it is so that these manuscripts have been hidden away mm. and uh, that the Rosie Cross uh, uh, myth or uh, fable is a myth and a fable, but it also contains a very real truth mm. that there is indeed a real treasure hunt presenting itself and that Shakespeare could be the the key that will open this mystery up. Hmm. So uh, I, I see that they, they cannot have done all this just to, to sign the book as Rosicrucians. There, there must be a bigger purpose. Hmm. At least that was my working hypothesis. So that kept me going. Yeah, because at this point uh, of your discoveries, you, you realized it was so elaborate and so sophisticated that uh, in order to just be a prank to say, hey, we are the real authors, it, it would just be an overwhelm. It's like what we say in Norwegian, to shoot a sparrow with a cannon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, That's something true. deeper. Okay, continue. It, it takes a lot of work to, to pull this off. Yeah. This means that someone would have to stay in the printing shop when they printed that page and adjust words. So even if uh, Henry Neville was dead, then I believe Francis Bacon was there and he had a poetic ability enough to 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 pull this off, to to insert codes in this wonderful text where codes were needed. Right. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes before the break. It's a perfect break now because we, we have, are now uh, leaving uh, the, Shakespeare behind. the Shakespeare side and we are going for the treasure. Okay, let us, let us spend the last two minutes then just to look at this guy Shakespeare because most people think, why on earth would people need to find another author? I mean, it says so in the book that is Shakespeare and there was someone living that at least his name was Will Shakespeare. And so uh, why, why why bother? Why bother look at all? Where does all these theories come from? Let us look at this Shakespeare guy then. Who was he? Well, then there are two aspects that we should uh, look at. And that is the guy himself. Yep. And we know that his parents were illiterate. And we also know that at least one of his daughters were. And uh, in between the illiterate parents and uh, at least one illiterate daughter, you have the person who personally established the English language, the person who encouraged that daughters should have education. Uh, it just doesn't fit, does it? And um, mm. this this man has not left anything behind that uh, 
points to his uh, writing abilities. In fact, not a, it, not, nothing. So we only have the books with his name, but uh, there is no no handwriting uh, from from him apart from six signatures, and uh, they are doubtful to say the least. And and very primitive, right? The... Uh, yes, there are. But then you have the other argument. So <clears throat> if someone else wrote this, why wouldn't they take the credit? I mean, today authors are semi uh, demigods. <laughs> Uh, everybody would like to be an author to publish something and um, come on uh, talk shows and talk about their books etc but it was different back then so um, even the alchemists used to publish their material anonymously it was an honor to 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 be an inconnu or an anonymous philosopher yeah mm. but it could be dangerous to be a a writer who wrote the wrong things. I mean, right. severe punishments that uh, I prefer not to talk about. And this and, was revolutionary uh, material, right? Uh, yeah, it was at least uh, some parts of it uh, were uh, problematic to say, uh, say put it mildly. And there is also the uh, the thing that if you were a gentleman, then it was okay if you wrote poetry and you you read it among your friends, but it was bad taste to mm. publish. Mm. And if you, as Francis Bacon did, uh, hope to uh, educate the masses through the use of the theaters, he could not do it under his own name because he could publish this under his own name. So it is very useful to have someone else who who is fronting it. And if there are two writers, then even better because uh, none of us should uh, take the blame or the fame if uh, you, you reverse it. But we find someone else who will do the job for and, and us. And both were nobles. And the theatre was the internet and the television of the day. That's and most people could not read or write. Yeah, so they went to the theatre. And I say that the Shakespeare project, because I call it the project, was the English equivalent of the French Pleiades. And the, the Pleiades was a group of seven. Right. And uh, they vowed to... Uh, bring the French language and culture up from uh, the mud and put it onto its glorious pedestal, which they uh, accomplished. And uh, Francis Bacon saw this uh, in his youth. He was befriending uh, at least one of the the guys in the playad. And I I think that uh, he uh, thought that... "Mm." England needs this too, and Shakespeare right. was uh, his solution. So he teamed up with uh, his uh, friend and uh, nephew, Sir Henry Neville, and uh, there they went. And then King James came on, and uh, voila, you, ha- you have the, the added mystery. Right, right, right. I just want to say that uh, uh, there are also old uh, claims that... Uh, he was connected to the Rosicrucians and was therefore also inclined to publish Enlightenment material like the, you know, to, to follow in the promise of the Rosicrucian manifestos called the Fama Fraternitatis and the Confessio Fraternitatis because there they talked about a new era coming, Enlightenment. So it was like a movement going on in Central Europe, in, in Germany. Uh, and in England and probably France and uh, maybe even Italy. So yeah, Bacon called it the, the Great uh, Instauration. Right. That was his name for it, and it 
it uh, was published for the first time when King James uh, entered uh, the, the scene in England. So there's synchronicity there too. Yeah. And uh, also let us remember that Shakespeare, Will Shakespeare, which is his true name, whereas Francis Bacon, he's the shaker of the spear in his weapons shield, in his family tree. So um, Will Shakespeare, he was also, what we have from him is that he seemed like a very petty guy, actually, a primitive. Many of the people who were involved in the theatre were like, Backstreet people. Mm. So uh, he wasn't even a good hearted one. Uh, we know that he drove uh, people uh, bankrupt and he was like into money. He was very after trying to accumulate wealth, yeah. getting up from the slum and up. So uh, we can easily see that some people like Bacon or, or one of his fellows approached Shakespeare and asked him to be the front man, right? And pay him. I think it's what's happened, yes. And that was common back then. It wasn't unheard of with front man. So just to say this, because there's a context to what you have found, and historians know this, students of history probably, and all religion, but in general, people don't. So people check the evidence, not just what Patras found, but also understand the time period. And any book you buy about these things will give you arguments for uh, and explanations for this. So it's not as if Peter here is the only guy in the world who, I mean, he's just filling the blank, the final verification, I dare say. Well, see, I'm a part of a tradition here, so yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the classical picture of standing of uh, standing on shoulders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. etc. Okay, I think we'll take that break now, and when we come back, we'll take this, we'll really shift gears and see where the bigger picture leads us. And people, hold on to your hats, because this is going to be a whooper. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. <laughs> 